Hey everybody, this is uh, Talking Truth. I'm uh, Dan Whitney, Larry the Cable Guy. Um, I'm here with Nat Crawford, and of course, the whole uh, ringleader of the thing. Oh boy, Brian. What's the right. hat you have there? Top hat, very classy. The <laughs> ringleader. Mm-hmm. The ringleader. Mm-hmm. He says that because he has no really no hair on the top <laughs> no of his hair. head. Mm-hmm. So are you doing bald jokes to start the whole thing off? Yeah, here? just kind of ease us into it. Very hateful spirit mm-hmm. here today. Very hateful spirit. <laughs> Hey, listen, we're going to fray off of a little bit of what we do. Um, uh, everywhere you go, or you get a Bible conversation or something, a lot of people always have questions. Yeah, but what about this or what about this? So so a lot of people that are investigating Christianity, they want to become Christians. They have several questions. Um, uh, so we have a couple of great scholars here, Nat and Brian. And uh, so anyway, I've, we've gathered just a couple of questions mm-hmm. and— uh, you guys can answer them. Sounds so, good. Let me start off with the first one. And I hope this helps people because God wants us to question. God wants us to ask questions. He doesn't want you just to, you know, just to take somebody's word for it. So um, research yourself, get in the Bible, read, but hopefully we'll help out a little bit with mm-hmm. some of these. Right, Brian? Right. That's right. Do um, our best. Anyway, so I have questions as well. So let's uh, let's take a few. This one is, hello, Larry, Brian, and Nat. First, I would like to say that I have grown so much in my faith because of y'all's podcast series. Larry, it's nice to see a man with your success be genuinely in love with Christ. I think this is from my kid. Now, you guys have mentioned in y'all's recent episodes the temptation is a result of a lack of trust in God. Pastor Clark, could you please explain in detail what that really means? Uh, A a result of a lack of trust in God. Let's see. The question is uh, that temptation is a result of a lack of trust in God. So... Anyway, Brian, he wants to uh, see if you can explain what that really means. And he uh, says, I struggle with lust and sometimes give in to those temptations. Hmm. You guys are fantastic. Get her done. And that guy's name is Garrison. Garrison. Don't do any last names. All right. No last names. So, Garrison, first of all, I'm glad you're benefiting from the podcast absolutely that's good to hear it is exciting and nat and i would affirm dan does love jesus and that's exciting to us too absolutely and garrison i'm learning just like you there's so many things that um that i have had resolved and questions that i have had answered and uh man that's why i'm on here i always tell everybody i get just as much out of these podcasts as anybody else Mm -hmm. we're all we're all growing. We're all getting sanctified. It's a slow process, but we don't get finished with it till we're off, off the planet. So I'm glad you have questions, too. All right. So let's get to the question. This is a really good question. So I often say that my definition for temptation is the invitation to meet a legitimate need or desire through illegitimate means. And then I usually follow that up by saying every time we give in to temptation, it's because we don't trust God. So that's where the question is coming from. So ultimately, this goes back to what happened in Genesis chapter 3 with the serpent and Adam and Eve. It's the 
tension between whether or not I can trust God to meet my needs, to satisfy me, or whether I think I need to be God and choose to do that myself. So let's take your specific example. You talk about having a struggle with lust, which is a common issue for a lot of people. So ultimately, your sexual drive is there because God made you that way. We have to wrestle with the fact that God made us as sexual beings. And a good question would be, why did he make us that way? And I would say, ultimately, your sexual drive is your soul's longing to be intimate with God. So you experience a taste of that in what Genesis refers to as your lifelong one flesh partner. But ultimately, that can only be satisfied in a relationship with God. So uh, I can have a meaningful relationship with my wife, but she can't ultimately satisfy me because she's not God. So I get a taste of it. But ultimately, the satisfaction has to be found in God. And so if I don't think God's going to meet that need, I don't trust him. So whether this is lust looking after other women, whether this pornography, whether this is relationships outside of marriage, it all comes down to the same thing. I don't trust God to meet this need in my life. So I choose to do it myself. And so I give in to the temptation. I'm trying to meet this need through illegitimate means. So you could be single, you could be a teenager, you could be older and your spouse has died. But ultimately, that need can still be satisfied in a relationship with God. It doesn't mean you go without. Uh, you may not have the taste, the one flesh uh, relationship with your partner, but you still can pursue what your soul actually longs for, and that's the relationship with God. So married or single, uh, you need to trust God and trust that God will be faithful to meet this need. The psalmist writes, in God are pleasures forevermore. God's the author of pleasures, the author of that drive in you. But you've got to meet that need God's way. And every time you try to meet it some other way, it boils down to you don't trust God. I, I don't think you're going to do your job, God. And so I'm going to do it myself. So <clears throat> I think that's exactly right. But when I read this question and began to think about it, the topic of temptation, do you guys think temptation in and of itself is a sin? To be tempted, is that sinful? Or are we simply saying that's just the natural result of being fallen people in a fallen world? Help me understand the difference between you know, temptation and acting upon it. Well, I've always thought that you can't help it. You're going to get tempted. It's the, it's how you deal with that temptation. God gives everyone an out that he won't make that, te that, that temptation won't be so hard that there won't be an out, right? Right. I don't think it's sinful to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. Right, okay. Um, and even based on his question here, he's saying he gives in to the temptation mm -hmm. from time to time, and therein lies lies the problem. If you go back to the to my definition, it's the invitation to meet a legitimate need right. through illegitimate means. So I, 
the invitation in itself isn't a sin. Right. It's what I choose to do with that. Right. And but I go ahead. going back going back to the conversation, I think one of the things I've wrestled with in my own life and conversations with people is as long as all this stuff remains kind of vague and abstract, then we give in to sin, we feel bad, uh, we confess that sin, we kind of get in this sin, sorry, sin, sorry, sin, sorry cycle where we just going back to it. And I think it's helpful to move from the kind of the vague and the abstract to what's actually happening. What is the issue? And why can't I trust God to meet that issue? So instead of just getting stuck in this cycle, we're trying to get to the issue and make progress uh, so we we don't just keep going through the same cycle. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it's helpful to think about what is the issue? What's the temptation? What would it look like to trust God with this? Mm-hmm. And why don't I trust God? Mm-hmm. That, that may be a way out of that cycle. Well, and I think it's important for us to remember that God isn't the one who's tempting us, and God's not the problem. God is, in fact, the solution. And that's even what James would talk about in James 1, right? When we get into these sticky situations of our lives, we tend to want to play God, and so we look for a way to cope and to deal, and then temptation comes, and if we're not careful, we can always blame God for the situations we're in and blaming Him for our actions. But God isn't the problem. He is, in fact, the solution. Yeah. Well, that's Adam. Right. God, the woman that you gave me. Right. You know, it's your fault. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I mean, I look, I feel bad for Garrison. I get it. A lot of guys, I mean, they... All that, all that pornography and all the—it's just thrown at you. You try to stay away from it, and God's made us obviously with a crazy sex drive. I mean, I feel bad for like my my kid and for mm. like any other kid. Your hormones are raging at the age of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and you've got this phone in front of you, and every there's always something in front of you. Mm. I mean, it's like. I don't know what he's talking about. I give in to the temptation. I'm I'm thinking, uh, just as a guy, I'm thinking that he's like, he doesn't want to look. He doesn't want to watch this, and he doesn't want to look at this, but every now and then he's like, ugh, and he just gives in to mm-hmm. it. And I think a lot of men justify this, and I know because I was one of those people mm-hmm. that, well, I love my wife. I would never ever in a million years cheat on my wife um so i have got to like i just you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. they weigh out well if this is going to keep me from cheating this is probably the better option and then they fall into that lust cat you know they Mm -hmm, fall mm -hmm. into that temptation and i'll be honest i was like that for a while it was like i i Okay, well, I'm not doing that because I know what that all leads to. I'm never going to ever cheat or do anything like that. But, man, I got to see something. Mm -hmm. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And then so you justify it. But I think, Garrison, in my own case, I think when you start getting closer to God and the more you get sanctified and the more you start learning but you got to stay in the word. You start to realize that stuff 
is literally satanic. It is from the depths of hell itself, regardless of you're like, oh, oh. And I think when you start thinking of it that way, that, that, that I mean, it's evil. The older I got and more I started realizing and seeing things, I mean, man, it's just evil. And you don't want to be associated with evil. And I get it, man. It is super hard to control your hormones and that. But you just have to stay in the Bible and keep getting sanctified. And you'll at some point realize how evil that stuff is. Hmm. And uh, you don't want to dis. And, and at some point, you don't. You want. You don't want to disappoint God. Hmm. You don't want Him to. Th- Oh man, look, I love Jesus and I just, you don't want that to happen. You definitely don't want to disappoint him. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you'll start, you'll start to figure that out. That's, that's, and then, then you'll learn to, then you'll start trusting more that God can get you through that. But it takes a sanctification pro- process. Because honestly, I mean, I'm just saying this as an honest person. I mean, it's tough. When you have a sex drive and it's tough and it's constantly, that's what these phones are. They're evil. They're being used as, they can be used as a good thing, but they're evil. But you're constantly bombarded with it. And, but God will give you, once you start realizing that, you're going to have an escape. And that escape is literally, all right, I'm putting it down and I'm going over here and I'm turning on the ball game or mm-hmm. something. That's the only way you can get away from those things. I think pornography is probably, and I'm guilty of it. I did it too. I that's that's all. I mean, when I was traveling around and just didn't have a care in the world. Yeah, hey, look at this. Woohoo! <laughs> He's hot, <laughs> you know. But after a while, it's just a dead end road. It's just, then you have a daughter, then you see what's going on, then you're like, well, I don't want my daughter to, you know? It just, man, it takes sanctification, it takes a lot of prayer, it takes a lot of reading your Bible and staying close to Jesus. The more you stay close to Jesus, the more you'll start to get away from that and understand that kind of stuff. But, man, so, I'm with you, G. It's tough, man. It's tough, but you can do it. So. Just a couple things to think about there. One is I think it's helpful to recognize it can't satisfy. That's what feeds Mm -hmm. the addiction. It's like 10 minutes after you turn it off, you hate yourself and you're miserable. And you have to realize this isn't working. This isn't satisfying. Right. But there is a satisfaction that's found in that relationship with God. So first you have to say it's it's not working. The other thing, like I think about uh, singles or these uh, young, you mentioned 14, 15-year-olds, and it's right there in their hand. It's just so convenient. The the Kind of the old-school advice was all you do is keep telling them, wait till you're married, wait till you're married, wait till you're married. But that really doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. the, the counsel needs to be your soul's longing for intimate with Jesus. That's what you really want. Mm -hmm. And so help them understand how to satisfy that longing. It's a little bit like eating a big meal before you go grocery shopping. If you're satisfied, 
then then you're not going to be tempted by everything that you don't really need. So it's like I th- I think as a parent, don't just say take a cold shower and wait till you're married. It's you need to learn how to satisfy your soul in Jesus. Then you're well equipped to say no to something that's going to ultimately destroy you. Right. Right. You know, I think Gar- I think Garrison, you know, Dan and I can speak uh, to this quite a bit, but there is freedom from. Um, from these chains that that can bond so many people. But one thing we can both and all of us in this room can attest to is that as a follower of Christ, remember this, you are not defined by your sins. As a follower of Christ, someone who's been redeemed, you are a masterpiece in God's eyes. No matter what you did today, no matter what you struggled with yesterday, because of what Christ has done, he has made you new. And so when God sees you, he sees you as a masterpiece, he smiles. Does he want what's best for you and to see you overcome? Absolutely. And that's what Dan was talking about. Get into God's word. That is a way for you to create that intimacy with your creator who has saved you. But ultimately, we want you to know that there is hope and that you are new. And when God sees you, he sees Christ in you. Absolutely. And you're going to you're, here's the deal. You're going to. Uh, that's why staying in the Word is so important. That's why having a devotion in the morning and something at night. You know, 15 minutes. We've done that before. 15 minutes here a day. 15 minutes of prayer. But the closer you get, the better it starts to get. And you just have to stay engaged. Like you know, you're going to fall seven times. You're going to get up seven times. At some point, it's going to get less and less. So that's why that's why uh, when you start to trust God, that's when it starts that you start getting better at it. One thing we might and the fact add, that uh, sorry and the fact that he feels he's asked this he's question and yeah. he feels convicted. He doesn't and want he to feels, do it. Absolutely. And if you fall and you get back up, l- let me tell you, G. I call him G. <laughs> Let me tell you something, G. No, that's good that you feel convicted. That's good that you feel bad you do it. That yeah. means Christ is working in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and good to remember, these days, most churches have some sort of a program that can help men and women with this particular issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is help for those that want help, so don't. You don't need to do this by yourself. You need to find a church, get involved with the group, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people that have found victory over this. Absolutely. Right. Or find right. a couple of Christian buddies that have the same problem or, right. and and helping each other out. With that said, have you seen the new secretary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is something else, isn't he? <laughs> All right. I'm staying out of that. <laughs> Uh, good question. See, that's good, honest talk. We're not beating around the bush here, yeah, right? Good. I mean, you got to be honest. Let's do with one people. more. Let's do another. Yeah. All right. To whom it may concern. Oh, I don't like this. Is this like a this one? This, this one's not going to be good. <laughs> this is from the Biden administration. <laughs> the beginning of Proverbs twenty-seven. It's 17 definitely not from the Biden administration. Has bothered me. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. I taught metal shop for over 20 years and taught the kids that in order to sharpen something, the one surface must be harder than the other. We commonly use sharpening stones because not only are they harder than the iron or steel, but they are friable too. 
always presenting new surfaces. I simply do not understand how one material can sharpen another material made of the same composition, iron sharpening iron. Thanks for your time. That's from Alan. All right. Well, Alan, that's a good question. Uh, I've been doing welding and metalwork and blacksmithing for almost 20 years, so I'm with you on that. So a couple things to think about. One is we're talking about a culture 3,000 years ago. So an ancient culture, they did a lot of things different. There's some people that think that's a reference to like the blacksmith with his hammer, hammering the swords and knives. So it's actually sharpening the blade, iron on iron. So not not necessarily with a file, but more of the blacksmithing process. That, that may or may not be correct. There's also, you know, swords battle. Often when swords were damaged, they'd use one sword with another sword to create enough friction and try and, they're just trying to get it to function, iron sharpening, iron but even today there's there's uh, high carbon steel which gets really hard and then there's low carbon steel that's softer so there's different metals uh, so I, I use a metal file to sharpen my lawnmower blade to sharpen my axe blade so that's metal on metal it's iron sharpening iron it, they're just different levels of carbon different levels of steel so I, I think that was understood and used in the in the ancient world as well yeah see when I read that for the, that's the first thing I thought was pounding the pounding the steel and making mm-hmm. the knife sharp it's iron pounding the yeah. iron that just came out of the oven yeah. and yeah and even even metal and you he mentions it on the Alan mentions it on the stone but they would use metal that actually had a texture to it so it might be the same composition, but because one has texture, it, it can sharpen the other one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things were done differently in an ancient world, and Alan's talking about probably what, what would be the ideal, what would be the best. Mm-hmm. What he's t- teaching his students is correct, but that's it's prob- probably what they're referencing. And then ultimately the meaning is just two people make each other better. They right. sharpen each other. It's, you a would, meta- it's a metaphor. Would we be able to find out what that in the Greek, in the actual Greek, meant it's in it, the Hebrew and in it's, Hebrew. It's about as vague as what I explained. It it could be a blacksmith's hammer. Okay. It could just be two pieces of metal. But one, it, probably what was most common is one piece had more of a texture to it. Which, so think about a chef in the kitchen. He's got a a rod with texture on it, and that's metal. And he's sharpening a metal knife. It, it's Similar to that, just an ancient version of it. Right. Okay. Well, I, mean, I think it's what you said. The point really isn't about the iron sharpening iron. It's just a metaphor. The real, mm-hmm. the real point is yeah. having you know that accountability and friendship. In fact, you know, just a few verses earlier, it talks about the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Right. I mean, there's benefit there, even though you may be rubbing against each other. Yeah. And you, co- you know, there's yeah. there's benefit there. So yeah. there's a bigger context. But right. So there's a lot of metaphors. Oh yeah, right. In the Bible, I I think this would be one of them. It's just an example of right. Yeah, he's just as a metal worker. Yeah, was, is trying to understand the metaphor. Yeah, that's my best explanation there. Right. But again, it's an ancient culture, so it's they use what they had. Right. 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. So I, can you, I? You I, have I a have question, a question, right? Yeah, can I do a question? Sure. Uh, Technically, only the righteous will inherit the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what verse that is. Say it again. The right, the only the righteous oh. will uh-huh. inherit the kingdom of heaven. Correct. I don't know what verse it is. Okay. And then the verse: there is none righteous, no, not one. Mm-hmm. So how do you square? There is nobody righteous, and only the righteous will be there. So I know the answer, but I would, but I'm sure someone has had that. I've saw that question. You know, whenever you go through the internet and they always try to get Christianity on something, that was one of the questions. Mm-hmm. Well, if nobody's righteous, no, not one. And, yeah. and then the Bible <laughs> says only the righteous can go to heaven. Yeah. And then they say there's nobody righteous. So that's the yeah, question. Yeah, well, each of those quotes has a context. Right. So the reality is there is no one who has never sinned. And at that point, we cease to be righteous and that's the whole reason God had to send his son to be the savior in order to pay our penalty of sin uh, and offer salvation so we stand in the righteousness of Christ. So it is true, only the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God and the only way to be righteous is through Christ because apart from that, none are righteous. Right, and he's made us righteous. Yes. So that's it's the only question. option on the Absolutely. table. Absolutely. Right. That's mm. great. You want right. another one? Can I give you another one? Sure. Let's well, what, do about my, one. what about my question? Can oh. I ask a question? You have dumb questions. I know I do, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Now, someone asked me this recently, and I thought, well, I have to give that some thought. Uh, but they were talking about forgiving themselves for their sins that they've committed. They go, I'm really having a hard time forgiving myself. And they go, what do I do? <clears throat> And I thought, I'll ask Brian that uh, and Dan and get your guys' thoughts on that topic because my, my thing I was struggling with is, well, do you even need to forgive yourself if Christ has forgiven you? Well, what do you guys say to that? So I'm not a big fan of that phrase uh, for a couple of reasons. One is, at the end of the day, I can't forgive myself. It's just like I... I can forgive you for wounding me, but I can't actually forgive you your sins. Only mm-hmm. Christ can ultimately do that. Right. If I could, then Jesus didn't need to pay for your sins. Mm. So I think the bigger issue is when people are struggling and they're talking about forgiving themselves, I think the bigger issue is they need to, by faith, believe mm. that Jesus has forgiven their sins. Because only Jesus has the power to forgive their sins, and if they can believe that and accept it, then they live in the freedom that comes from Christ. I, I think as long as we're stuck trying to forgive ourselves, we just we never convince ourselves that that we're forgiven because mm-hmm. we're 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 missing the Jesus piece of that. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't really like that phrase. Yeah. It's more believe the truth that Jesus has forgiven your sins. Mm-hmm. And walk in the freedom of that. Yeah, that's a really good answer. And it's essentially what I said. I think I said, you know, you got to rest in God's grace. It's, he's, he's done all the heavy lifting for you. And so it's, it's that process of letting go. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks, Brian. Okay, okay now, now, let's hear, now let's hear a good question. Well, look, I, I love this. I love um, these sites where these skeptics always have kind of, you know, so I'm going to throw this one out here. Oh, boy, okay. Uh, no one can see God. No one has ever seen God, 1 John 4, 12. No man has seen or can see God, 1 Timothy. 
However, Adam and Eve saw God, and so did Abraham and Moses. So is that a double speak? No, I don't think it is. It's it's you know, all those statements have a context. Right. So you can't, we and you know this, but absolutely, you can't just pull them out and isolate them. But when Moses asked to see God, God said, "If if you saw me in all my glory, it would kill you." So he puts him in the cleft of the rock, puts his hand over it, passes over. And at the last minute, pulls his hand back, and Moses is able to see God's, literally, it's his hindquarters is what it says. And he glows, he glows, because he just got a glimpse of the glory of God. So to see God in all his fullness, in all his glory, that's what it's talking about. Right. If, if we saw that, it would kill us. So Jesus is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. So Jesus as the God-man, I think, is who we will see forever. Right. Um, so do we see God in the flesh in Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Will, mm-hmm. will we see God in all of his glory in Jesus? But that's the, that's the, answer, to the answer to the question. If, if you saw God in all his glory, it would kill you. You know, Isaiah has the vision, and he's... He falls on his face. He's overwhelmed. He says, woe is me. It's like, mm-hmm. it's too much for me. Hmm. So there, God's not like Santa Claus, like grandfather sitting on a throne somewhere up in the sky and has a long beard and all that. I think that's what a lot of people think. Right. right. But what, what kind of a God speaks the entire universe into place? How, how big would this God have to be? It's like we can't even process the mm-hmm. wonder Absolutely. and the depth of that. Right. And I think when people, here's what I would suggest to people. I mean, they only hear this or this, or they'll hear bits and pieces, and they'll hear this and this. Get a good, get a get a good New King James Version Study Bible, and I don't think a lot of people realize that the, and that the Bible never had verses. It's one big long. They only put the verses in so we could find things in the Bible. That's why you just can't take a verse and say, this is what it says. That's why it comes with context. So you have to read before the verse and after verse what the chapter is talking about, um, the hermeneutics of the day, what it was like during that day, because we're reading it. We're modern people. So I think the Bible will come across differently to people if they just get a good study Bible. And if you really want to learn and understand what these verses mean and what these contexts are, mm-hmm. you've got to read. You've got yeah. to study. You can't just say, well, this is what it says. No, you have to. About the only time that you can use the verse and have it make full sense in that context is probably the Proverbs. There's probably Proverbs. But everything else was never meant. It, it, all the, the only reason those numbers are there is so you can find things in those chapters. Yeah. Well, think of it this way: we're headed into an election year, and the airwaves are going to be filled with things taken out of context mm-hmm. in Absolutely. order to do away with an opponent. It's it's done all the time in politics. Mm-hmm. Well, people do the same thing with the Bible. And you got to leave the statements in their context to understand what's being said. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So that's that's the thing. This is cool. I love when we do questions and answers. We we just started doing it. I think it's awesome. We if should do it again. Yeah. If you have any other questions, yeah, please send them in. Yep. We'd love to answer them. But man, anytime you see something on the internet and they try to disprove Christianity, <laughs> disprove but the Bible's full of contradictions. I'm telling you, if you study and actually want to understand and. The answer is there. There's no contradictions. Nobody's disproved it in 2000 no, years. Nobody's going to come up with one tomorrow. <laughs> that's the great thing about it. Mm-hmm. The, they, they've tried. It's been the most put-through book on the planet. Yeah, absolutely. And they can't do it. They think they can, but they no, can't. No. Well, that was great. That's what it's all about, man, answering people's questions. I think it's great. Um, I always had a ton of questions. I'm still learning, but you don't learn. That's the cool thing about that's the cool thing about Christianity. They, it, God wants you to question. Question this. Ask a question. Doubt it. Answer the questions. Get the answers. So that's what we're doing. So anyway. Hope that uh, hope that took care of some stuff for Alan and Garrison and uh, the ones that that uh, we had most certainly we were answered on and so anyway so if you have any questions just visit talkintruth.com and uh, jot down whatever you want to ask and hopefully we'll be able to ask it I know Brian and Nat will I'll listen along and throw in what I know <laughs> which isn't much but I know a little bit get it done.